0: we are starting off, as Richard said, in a series called Joy and Pain. And spin. And joy and pain, it's one of those phrases that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? It's kind of like driving on a parkway and parking on a driveway. Okay, it's not real compatible, compatible excuse me, it's not real logical. But one of the luxuries, I guess you could call it, that that myself and other pastors have is is that we know like a sermon series months and months and months out advance. And so for literally months, we've known that here on March 5th, we would be talking about joy and pain. For most of you, you found out like 12 minutes ago that we were going to be talking on pain. And so I want to do something that's a little little different, if that's okay. And I just want to give you a moment. I'm going to shut up and, and be quiet, and I'm just going to give you a moment to, to just kind of identify what is my source of pain right now. And I know that's uncomfortable, and that's not fun, and I do apologize, but I think it's important because for some of us, it immediately comes to mind. You got it. But for some of us, we need to sort of think and maybe just sit before the Spirit and kind of identify what, what is the pain in my life? And so just take like 20 seconds and then we'll continue. He might find yourself in a position, and you think about what just came to mind, and maybe you're the person that didn't even have to spend that long really contemplating It's it's pretty obvious what your pain is. And you're here wondering, almost daring me to convince you that there could possibly be any joy in the situation that you're navigating. And I get it. it, it doesn't make sense. And if you're wondering how could my pain, my heartache, even be in the same sentence as the word joy, that doesn't make sense. I hear you, and that's a good question. And it's a natural reaction. And it's why we wanna spend just the next couple weeks looking at this idea, which comes from the very passage of scripture that we'll be in this morning, James one, and particularly verse two. But, but how could there be joy in pain? How could pain and joy ever be compatible? And and this week, we'll we'll look and we'll peer into the idea of of maybe what we can find and a purpose that we can find even beyond our pain. And then next week, Gary will talk more about how our pain often becomes a source of ministry. And so we have jumped right into the deep end this morning. I hope you brought your swimming trunks. I don't know, that would be weird if you did, it's March. But let's read James 1, 2. And we were just gonna keep trucking along, pretending like I never said that thing I just said a minute ago, deal? (laughs) Cool, that's between us. They'll edit that out, right? Got it. (laughs) Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. You know, James, he's not suggesting that there's an if-then statement happening, right? It's not if you have pain, then this is how you navigate it. Okay, there's not a preceding clause to the verse we just read. But, but really what James is saying is as surely as the sun will rise and the sun will set, so will pain wander down the alley of your life. And yet that first word in verse two, consider, consider. James is saying that whenever pain comes knocking at the door of our life, we have a consideration to make. There is an option or a different choice of how we can navigate this pain. Many people will step into pain and they will consider a sort of woe is me disposition. Woe is me, why is this happening? Well, I don't understand this diagnosis, this lab report. I, I ate my veggies, I took my vitamins, I even exercised. Why is, my, why is my child rebelling in this way? I don't understand. I sent them to, to Christian private school and they went to every Chi Alpha and student camp. Why are they doing this? Why is my spouse hurting me in this way? We meant our vows, didn't we? Woe is me. This isn't fair. Why is this happening? Or some will consider pain and think maybe, maybe there's more than the eye meets. Maybe. Maybe there could be purpose beyond these circumstances. A couple weeks ago, my sister, who I love and I'm very close with, but she frankly asked me a ridiculous question. And I'm gonna tell you, you won't believe it, okay? You guys don't know me as well as my sister knows me, but you'll know that this was a ridiculous question. She asked me if I'd ever done Whole30. Yeah, right. Who would do that? Like, seriously, who would say no to sugar, dairy and carbs? I eat donuts for 30 whole days. Not me. Okay. There's a donut place off Campbell and Coit, I keep them in business. All right. Who would do that? 17% of Americans diet in some way, shape or form. And, and, and here's the thing people diet for a variety of reasons, right? But I'm pretty sure that no one diets because they just love restricting certain things from their body, okay? No one steps into a diet and says, oh, I'm not really dieting because I want to sleep better, I want to have more energy, I want to lose weight. I just love the torture of not eating cookies, and so that's why I'm choosing to diet, okay? That's not a reason that people diet. But people diet because they look beyond the sacrifice, and they see a benefit beyond it. And there is a benefit that outweighs the momentary affliction. And this morning, it's, we, got, we got a simple agenda before us. We want to answer one question. Is there a purpose beyond our pain? Is there a purpose beyond our pain? And I think James is going to help us understand that as we make our way through these first seven, eight verses. And so let's, let's look back at verse three because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, I've read this passage several times, but, but something this week and, and the week and a half leading up to it that, that really stuck out to me is, is James says that we know, he assumes that we know that trials will always result in a testing of our faith. And I'll tell you what, what was unique that stuck out to me that hadn't previously is by this acknowledgement, James is telling us that he knows that trials, that pain always feels like a test. Okay, I think I used to have this idea that like for like super, 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 super duper Christians, pain didn't even feel like a test, right? It didn't even feel like a thing, right? It didn't even feel like an actual trial. It felt like walking into a test only to find out you had a substitute teacher and you get an extra day to study, and that's the greatest thing in the, in the world, right? To me, that was what I thought pain felt like if you like really, really, really were a good Christian. But the reality is, is is James is acknowledging, James is acknowledging is that pain is real, right? The the call of the Christ follower is not to be desensitized or detached from your pain. It's not to pretend like it doesn't exist. And if you think about it, to pretend that pain doesn't exist, that's, that's not even congruent with who we know Jesus to be, right? Because we know that Jesus acknowledged the very realness of the pain on the cross, but he also found great joy in looking beyond the cross to an empty tomb. And so if, if we learn to look beyond our pain, we will understand that in times of great hardship, in times of great pain, our faith is being reinforced and it is being strengthened and we are being groomed informed in how to persevere in more and more extreme and unthinkable circumstances that the world so often throws at us. And so we find purpose in our pain as it produces perseverance. But I think a lot of times we stop right here, and and probably if, if we just kind of did an anonymous poll in this room, a lot of us would say like, yeah, God uses pain to just like make us stronger and stronger and stronger and bulkier Christians, right? Like, that's really the only purpose in pain. And I think that's absolutely part of it, right? That's what we just read in verse three. But that's not all. That's not all. Look at verse four. It says, let perseverance finish its work so that you, that, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Does anyone remember the Florida versus Ole Miss game in 2009? Okay, David Barrett's not in here, so someone needs to go check that out because he does, he was at that game, he went to Florida. Nobody remembers it. Okay, well let me catch you up to speed. So Ole Miss was two and two, they had just lost to Vanderbilt, I'm more of a Big 12 guy, I'm pretty sure you don't lose to Vanderbilt though, that's like a thing, kind of, it's kind of like losing to Kansas, maybe. Okay, and Florida was four 0 Right, they were 4-0. They had just come off a 30-6 win at Tennessee and they were playing in Gainesville at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. Needless to say, Florida were massive favorites. And they ended up losing 30-31. to And so even if you don't remember that game, you might remember this clip of the post-game press conference with none other than Tim Tebow. I'm sorry, I'm extremely sorry. You know, we we're hoping for an undefeated season, that was my goal, something the floor is never done here. But I promise you one thing, a lot of good will come out of this. You have never seen any player in the entire country play as hard as I will play the rest of the season, and you never see someone push the rest of the team as hard as I will push everybody the rest of the season, and you never see a team play harder than we will the rest of this season. God bless. So a good team, right, a competitor or athlete, they will allow the agony of defeat to expose their deficiencies so that they can learn from their weaknesses and therefore become a more complete team. And it worked for Florida. They didn't lose another game that season and went on to win the national championship. And, and, I, and I share that because when we see beyond our pain, we understand that it is refining us by exposing our deficiencies. So that, as James says, we can be made more mature and more complete. Six months after Ashley and I got married, we were uh, going for a walk. It was a Saturday morning, probably like 10 a.m. Gosh, life without kids, how grand. (laughs) (laughs) And so we're about to leave. We're about to go out the door. And she looks at her phone, and she noticed that she had two missed calls from her mom. I was like, that's not normal per se. And so she calls her mom back and her mom says, your dad was playing racquetball and he went into cardiac arrest. And so we get in the car and we drove down to Austin and and by the grace of God, he survived and and is healthy and is doing awesome. But as we drove down to Austin and as we got there and, and there was so much ambiguity and confusion, I remember getting just a couple minutes by myself And I was in the car, and I'm a big journaler, but I didn't even have time and just the scurry to get on the road to pack up my journal, and so I went and stopped at a CVS or something and grabbed just like a little, I don't know, memo pad or whatever, and I remember writing on that memo pad. I remember writing and asking God, God, I don't know how to do this. I've only been married six months. I don't really know how to be married, much less I don't know how to be married when my wife might be losing her father. I had a real deficiency. I have many. But I had a real deficiency in that moment. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to proceed. But in my deficiency, God met me with his sufficiency. And, and we, can, we can talk about why do these different things happen. And, and we can allow and we can See that our deficiencies are exposed, but it's always, always because the Father desires to show us more and more of His sufficiency and of His goodness. And so we find purpose in our pain in knowing that as our deficiencies are exposed, so is the sufficiency of the Father. Look at verse 5 with me. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And so, we see greater purpose in our pain when we understand that our wounds often become the doorway for wisdom, okay? And and wisdom is the understanding, or biblical wisdom is the understanding of the ways of God in his readiness to act, okay? You and I, we will never see the purpose beyond our pain until we can willfully submit to the idea that our timing is not God's timing, our ways are not God's ways. We will never see purpose beyond our pain until we can pray as Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, your will be done and not mine. And also like actually mean it, not just recite it. We will never understand the purpose beyond pain until we can see that God's will is not ours. And it's interesting, because if you think about it, the wise person, they see the world and all of its pain through the lens of the kingdom of God. Okay, the unwise, they they sort of flip that, right? They see the kingdom of God, but it's through the lens of the pain of the world. And I know that sounds wordy, I think it's up there behind me. Let, Let me unpack that for just one second. The unwise will process pain seeing the kingdom of God through the lens of the world. The unwise will see their pain. They'll see all the brokenness that they're walking through and through that, they will project, they will paint a picture of God that is unkind, that is unfair, that is harsh, that is distant and doesn't make a lot of sense and therefore, they will step into the fire of pain. They will step into the trial of pain and they will say, I don't even know if I believe anymore. How could this be happening? Maybe that's you this morning. But the wise, the wise, they will process pain seeing the world and seeing the pain of the world. Not detached, not pretending like it doesn't exist, but they'll filter it through the kingdom of God. And so therefore, what they end up doing is painting or portraying a picture of God that is still good. That when everything seems to be shaking, they still trust they still find God to be trustworthy. They step in to the pain and to the fiery trials. And though nothing may seem to make sense, they still can utter, I trust you, God. I trust you, God, because I see my pain, but I see it through the lens of the kingdom of God. The wise will understand that ultimately the things of this world cannot be gripped too firmly. And as we loosen our grip on the things that we were never really meant to even grip that tightly ourselves, that is when God sneaks in the back door of our life and begins to reorient and reform and reshape us. And it's really when we understand what Peter was talking about when he said, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening. We're gonna do something different. I'm gonna invite the great Jeff Hobson to come up and he's gonna help me uh, make sense of what Peter is trying to talk about. Jeff is our new facilities director. He is awesome. Give him a round of applause. (laughs) Jeff and his team uh, do so much, really, do so much to to care and to make these facilities ready for us to worship and share in community. And, And so he is great. Now, biblical scholars suggest that whenever Peter talks about fiery ordeal, that really what he is talking about, he's making a metaphor, I know no one's listening to me now, it's fire, whoa! (laughs) (laughs) But he's making an illustration towards the forging of metal, right? And this bar of steel, of only the finest steel, I cannot bend it, I cannot shape it, I cannot cease it to be, cause it to cease to be anything but a straight bar of metal unless extreme heat is applied. And we can talk about does God cause pain? Does he allow it? What is the reason behind this? And and, and look, I'm not trying to say that those are not good and worthy conversations, but ultimately, when we begin to see the purpose beyond our pain, what we really find out is that God is always using it to form and mold and shape us further and further into his image. And so you wanna find joy in your pain. You want pain to refine you? Then ask for wisdom. He gives it generously. Ask for wisdom so that you can begin to see that as we become wise in the ways of the Lord, we are being mended And shaped and refined into his image. And that is a good, good thing. Verse six, we'll look at six, seven, and eight real quick. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double minded and unstable in all that they do. So if we said, as we said, if wisdom is understanding the ways of the Lord and his readiness to act accordingly, then I think what the enemy would really love to do is to weave a lie into your soul, weave a lie into your heart that says, maybe God isn't so trustworthy. Maybe if God were actually good, the doctor wouldn't have called with that news. Maybe, If God were actually good and kind, you know, like the Bible says, then your kid wouldn't be behaving in this way. And so the enemy, he sneaks this little lie of skepticism and doubt in because he knows that whenever we start to trust or start to question the goodness of God, then what ultimately happens is the very foundation of our faith splinters and cracks and we have foundation issue and it won't be too long before the whole thing comes crumbling down. That's what the enemy wants to do. And so we become, as James says, like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by wind. But, get this, if we can see the purpose in our pain, if we can stare down the tragedies and the trials that we are facing, if even in the darkest night of our soul we can whisper, God is still God. I trust him, and I believe that this pain will refine me. Then my question is, what can, you, what can the enemy do? Think about it. What can the enemy do? What can the enemy do to the man, to the woman, who has had everything stripped away, but will still whisper through their tears, God, I trust you? What can be done to that person, right? The enemy's lost. The enemy's lost. And so we're gonna, uh, we're gonna close out a little bit differently in here in just a minute, but before we do that, let me tell you about some of my glory days in high school <laughs> as part of the sermon, <laughs> I hope. I played two sports in high school, neither very well, but, but I played football and I ran track. And you know, especially you students know that That football, high school football in Texas, I mean, it's king, right? I mean, the whole school's there, a lot of the school, thousands of people in the stand, the band, the cheerleaders, the drill team, it is the place to be on a Friday night. And then a track meet is on like a dreary, cold, and rainy Thursday night, and there's like 35 people there, all who are there out of parental guilt, (laughs) right? But I promise you, nothing, nothing would make me as nervous as stepping into those blocks in a track meet. Okay, I didn't like track, I didn't care about it, I wanted to win football way more than I wanted to win track. But the nerves of running in a track meet were crippling. And it's because it's just me out there. I'm by myself, if I fall, if I fail, if I come in last, everyone sees me. I have to bear the burden of this race on my own. But in football, if you make a mistake, there's a chance that maybe one of your other 10 teammates will cover for you, right? And, and the reason I, I share all of that is because I think so many of us navigate pain like a track meet in a vacuum of isolation. When in reality, Paul says in Galatians 6.2 that we get to carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And so church, I don't know what pain it is that you thought of at the beginning of our time here. But here's what I do know. You don't have to do it alone. You don't, okay? Now, if you wanna get out of the blocks, the starting blocks of a track meet and join the football team, that sounds cheesy, but it's gonna require honesty and vulnerability. You're gonna have to be willing to admit you're not okay. And guess what? it's okay to admit you're not okay. And I would say if you can't do that here, then that's a problem. Because this should be the one place that is safe to admit when things are not right. And so I, uh, I wanna invite Kristen to, to come up. You guys typically see Kristen up here uh, leading us in, in worship. And as she's coming up, she's right there behind me. But you know, Kristen and I were talking um, just not long ago, and I was kinda of telling her about this article that I had recently read in which the title of the article really caught my, uh, caught my attention. It said that American teenage girls are not okay. I don't know if anyone saw that, but but basically, the synopsis of the article uh, was that some CDC research had just come out and it said that in the last 10 years, the number of girls, teenage girls that experience feelings of hopelessness or lostness or insignificance increase from like high 30s to 53%. So per the CDC, the data suggests that over half of teenage girls are struggling in some way, shape, or form with mental health. And then I think you know that, that stat probably extends to, to definitely both men and all age groups. And so I know mental health basically is a huge source of pain for a lot of us. I also know that's kind of part of your story, Kristen, and so would you share a little bit about that, and then also maybe how you were able to link arms with other like-minded believers who really helped you carry the burden?
1: Absolutely, thank you for having me up here. Uh, So I have struggled with anxiety for majority of my life. I'm 23 years old, um, and I had my first episode of crippling and uh, really debilitating anxiety when I was 15 years old. That season of life was one of the scariest times of my life because I didn't understand why I was feeling what I was feeling. And I didn't have community that I could open up to and be honest with and say I am not okay and I need help. Mm -hmm. But in God's loving kindness, he gave me wonderful parents and an amazing Christian counselor and medicine that helped bring me into healing. And I saw a sliver of God's kindness in those moments. And so I I really believed that I had encountered victory and breakthrough in those moments. And so I I was declaring, God, you're good. Thank you for who you are. And I was still, I, I still wasn't as mature in my faith. But then four years later, when I had another really severe, even more severe debilitating episode of anxiety when I was away eight hours from home in college, I felt like, victory was never mine in the first place. Mm -hmm. And that was probably even harder for me because something that I thought I'd overcome, I actually hadn't. Because the victory is always Jesus's. But this time, I actually had community that I was able to say, I am not okay and I need reminders of who Jesus is. I need prayer. I need intercession. And so in God's kindness, he had granted me amazing community in Nashville. I had some really wonderful friends who just reminded me that Jesus is enough and that Jesus is with me in my pain. Even I had my parents come down when I was just not doing well. And all through that, I truly saw in those moments that God is in the pain with me. And I so often I think we can question God: Why are you allowing this? Why why do I deal with mental illness? Why am I struggling with a season of grief or pain? But God is sufficient, and God, in His kindness, is showing us something.
0: Amen. Yeah. Come on. That's a uh, look. I'm not trying to uh, toot our own horn, but man, that's that's vulnerability. I don't I don't think that a lot of churches, someone who was just leading worship. 30 minutes ago is now confessing just their, their vulnerability and honesty um, in such a transparent way. So thank you for that, Christian. You mentioned Christian counseling. Um, you know, a, a lot of us in this room probably are, are very familiar with that, but, but also maybe not. And so well, what's that process like? I mean, what is it like to see a Christian counselor? Is it like what you see on TV where you like lay on the no. bed thing? And I mean, you know, share with us just a little bit about that, that might be helpful.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think my biggest piece of advice is that Christian counselors desire to see you walk in complete freedom and wholeness in Jesus. Their desire is to see you experience breakthrough. And I cannot recommend Christian counseling enough if you are in a season of intense pain or grief or you struggle with mental illness. God has anointed and gifted these people to be able to walk through difficult things with you. And that's not saying that Jesus is not enough because he is always enough. Jesus is our sufficient portion and prize. But what Christian counselors do is that they remind you of the truth of the gospel, that who Jesus is, that he is our good shepherd, that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But they also give you tools to be able to understand, okay, how do I process this? How do I process the emotions or the feelings I'm going through? And one of my favorite sayings I ever heard was that it's okay to know Jesus and have a counselor too. And (laughs) I think so often there can be a stigma within the church that if you are struggling, you don't have enough faith. And that's a direct lie from the enemy. Jesus is with us in our pain. That is what's so different about our faith is that we believe that Jesus suffered and that he is victorious, that maybe we don't experience victory today on this side of heaven, but we experience victory in his presence, that there is fullness of joy. And so my biggest encouragement is that Jesus is sufficient, that it's okay to ask for help because community breeds intimacy. When we are honest and vulnerable with others and we're honest with the Lord, he, his cup overflows into our lives really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's
0: so good. Thank you so much, Kristen. Yeah, y'all give it up for Kristen. What a blessing. We really appreciate you just being open and honest, and and I know that's not easy. And so, hey, uh, Richard's going to come up in in just a minute. but, But before we close, you know, in the ancient world, an alchemist was someone who would try and take base metals and purify them into gold. Okay, it was essentially an alchemist would try and take what was ordinary and make it extraordinary. And if you think about that, that's that's a good picture of God, okay? God desires to be the alchemist of our heart. He wants to take what is broken, what is hardened, and he wants to breathe life into it. He wants to transform it. And he can do that because God is no stranger to pain. Because he sent his son, Jesus, into this world. And he died the most painful death in which he bore every iota of pain. You can think, Pierce, you don't know anything about pain if you knew what I've been through. But guess what? Jesus does. And I'm just doing my best to speak what Jesus would say in the word of God. And so he bared, bared that pain. He bore that pain. And he died. But he didn't stay dead. Right? And he rose again. And what was death on Friday, the alchemist God turned to life on Sunday. And you can take part in that life this morning. God wants to be the alchemist of your heart. And if you repent, believe, and follow him, then you too can walk in newness of life. And I would love, love, love to have a conversation with you. If you have no idea how this god that i've that we've been talking about can write a new story for you then i want to talk to you i do so let me pray and then richard will come up father we thank you that you are a god who does transform us through our pain and that there is purpose beyond our pain lord and so father as we are probably processing a lot right now lord would you just give us obvious next steps of how we should continue to just process and be refined in, in what we have heard from you this morning, Lord. And Father, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.